about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your god. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Here ends the reading. Well, in this season, I'm seeing article upon article arise, asking the question of what is God's will in the midst of a time like this? What is God up to? What does he want from people? What does he want from believers? What does he want from people who've never known him before? These are great questions. And I actually think our new series in the book of Jonah goes right to the heart of them. The book of Jonah is a small book in the Old Testament that stands out because it's not just about God's special people, Israel, about how God loves and knows them, but how God loves and longs for every person to know him. Jonah explodes and expands and explores God's heart of mercy for all people. 
And Jonah exposes that by walking through a series of crises, through a great storm in chapter 1, in a tussle with a great whale in chapter 2, and a great city on the edge of a great apocalypse in chapter 3. And in the midst of all of these stories around the prophet Jonah, we see God's longing for us to experience his mercy. And not only that, but for us to share that mercy with others. That's what God is up to in the midst of all crises, in the midst of every day, but especially in a season like this. And Jonah is an invitation to you, friend, if you've not known God's mercy to experience it. And it's also for you, friend, if you've known God for a long time, to experience it afresh. And it's also an invitation to extend that mercy to others. Today we're going to look at chapter 1 and that great storm of that chapter. And how God is at work in the midst of it. Going to the heart of that question again, what is God's will in the storm? What is God up to in the storm? In times of great upheaval, of calamity, of pain, of difficulty, what is God actually on about? Four things for you today from Jonah chapter 1 about what God is up to in the storm. Have a look with me, chapter 1, verse 1. The first thing is this. In the storm, God, he is personally pursuing. Chapter 1, verse 1 starts with the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. We're straight away introduced to the great prophet Jonah and to his great charge to go to a great city of the ancient world called Nineveh, the capital of the great superpower of the ancient Near East, Assyria. Now, when it says that Assyria was wicked, boy, was that true. There's heaps of evidence in Scripture and in other places to demonstrate that. The prophet Nahum spoke about Nineveh and said, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. Nineveh and Assyria were renowned for their violent and destructive ways. The way their army went and conquered and killed many. There are some reliefs uh, in the British Museum that depict some of the the ways they did this. Uh, They're a bit graphic, uh, just to warn you, but the, the one before you is of people being impaled violently on sticks outside a city under siege. Then here's one of one of the Judean cities being attacked by the Assyrian army where the soldiers are holding up heads of Judeans as they push ahead. When it says that Nineveh was wicked, it was one of the most destructive and violent powers the world had ever known. Do you know what God says? It's, he says that it's wickedness, this violence, this destructiveness, this hatred of human life has come up before me. Literally, come up to my face. The violence of Nineveh was personally affronting to God. He took it personally. He took it seriously. 
as he does all violence, all injustice, all wrongs, all perpetration of the vulnerable. Even in our day, which is becoming less known as we focus on one crisis and forget the great violence happening all over the earth, of the sad increase in the abuse of young children on the internet because of the self-isolation of the West. Friends, do you know what? The God of the Bible, he's personal. And he takes all of this wickedness, this sin, personally. And yet, do you notice what he does? He sends Jonah to Nineveh. And now, in the Bible, you do not send a prophet unless you want to warn someone. Unless there's a chance that God might show mercy. Unless there's a chance that the situation could change. Now, this is wild. The God of the Bible, his heart is full of mercy, even for the most violent and destructive nation. It's unfathomable. Maybe that's why Jonah, after hearing this charge, disobeys and instead flees. We read that he, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa and hopped on a boat. Now, so you understand the geography, you can see where Joppa is and Gath Hefer, that is uh, Jonah's hometown, and where Nineveh is, and Tarshish is all the way in the opposite direction over in Spain. Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. He heads disobediently in the opposite direction. And we can understand why. Why would God want to show mercy to such a nation as this? And perhaps even for Jonah, this was a personal thing. He grew up in Gath Hepha, so 2 Kings 14 says, under the evil king Jeroboam of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jonah was part of the, the Make Israel Great Again campaign that extended the borders again under Jeroboam. He was a fierce nationalistic Jew of the northern kingdom. Do you know what happened in the northern kingdom? In Jonah's lifetime, the Assyrian army came and conquered. It's quite likely that Jonah would have seen the violence of Nineveh firsthand. Perhaps even experienced it firsthand. He might even have a personal reason to gape in awe at why God would even possibly consider showing mercy to such a violent city. And so he flees. But you know, just as, just as God personally wants to pursue the violent city of Nineveh, so he personally pursues Jonah with what? With the storm. The storm comes in verse 4. God hurls it on the sea. Why? Because that's where Jonah is fleeing to. It stops him fleeing in his tracks. You know, just as the violence of Nineveh affronted God to his face, so the disobedience of Jonah affronts God to his face. And yet, what does God do? He personally pursues. That's the God of Scripture. Personally affronted and personally pursuing. Wanting to show mercy. But there's more happening in the storm than that. The second thing we see happening is that in the storm, God awakens true worship. We see this in the sailors, the story of the sailors. Uh, spare a thought for them. They get caught up in Jonah's judgment, don't they? I mean, he's the one who sinned and they end up on a boat with him, it says in verse 5. And it says that God threw a storm on the sea, threw a wind on the sea, kind of like chucking a javelin violently at something 
God hurls a violent wind on the sea and it whips up a storm and it threatens to break up the ship. And the sailors are terrified. These are seasoned sailors fearing desperately for their lives. And what happens in the midst of this story for the sailors is it actually this storm awakens in them worship. See, what happens is in verse 5, they cry out to their own gods. But then later on, in verse 14, and then in verse 16, they cry out to the God of Israel. They go on a journey from worshipping idols to worshipping the living God. And the thing that awakens them to that worship is the storm. You see, storms can do that, can't they? And this storm is not just a storm that is a judgment upon Jonah, part of God's pursuit of Jonah. God is using this storm in more ways than one. He's judging Jonah, but he's also saving sailors at the same time. Why is the storm there? These reasons and more. You know, we can't look at an event happening in the world and say exactly why it's happening sometimes. John Calvin knew this, thinking about this passage in Jonah. He says, you know, the Lord works wonderfully while ruling over men. It would be preposterous to measure his operations by our wisdom. Because at the same time when he's judging Jonah, he's saving sailors, and who knows what else he's doing in all the other boats in the same storm. Why is there corona? Judgment, mercy, humbling, saving, protection, destruction. Maybe God is willing, weaving a million billion stories together in the one moment with such wisdom and craft and sovereign love and power that he is truly unfathomable. And yet we see clearly for the sailors that in the midst of the storm, he is summoning them, awakening them to true worship. That's what happens in moments like these. When things get so drastic and difficult and so deathly that our ordinary understanding of life is crushed and shattered. The normal things we turn to for comfort and security and safety just won't hold up. Some things happen in life that shatter our understanding of the world and awaken us. The sailors find themselves crying out to the God of heaven. This very strange moment happens where the captain runs up to Jonah and calls him to prayer. How can you be asleep? Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice. And then the sailors after that start casting lots, going, God must be in this somewhere. What's his will in this? What is he up to? You know, the sailors are better prophets than Jonah, crying out to God and searching his will. And there Jonah is, asleep in the back of the boat, while these sailors have this spiritual awakening, trying to work out what's happening, trying to work out what God is for in the midst of this. You know, this could happen in our city. This could happen in our world right now. As our worldview is crushed by a pandemic we can't control, our prayer should be that the God who is sovereign over every storm, will use this as a great moment of spiritual awakening for many. Maybe you're finding that today. You're not someone used to faith, but you're you're searching for a divine reason like the sailors in the boat. 
trying to work out what divine purpose could be in this, crying out to a God you don't know. Or maybe as a believer, you're finding yourself awakened to true worship, awakened to, to, to seeing who God is and what He is in the midst of all this. God in the midst of storms awakens true worship. But even more than that, and this is where Jonah's story gets interesting, in the midst of this storm, he exposes false worship. Because as the, the sailors have this spiritual awakening around Jonah, he's asleep in the boat. You know, it's possible to walk through a crisis with such paralytic self-deceit and comfort-seeking that you deaden your spiritual sense to what's happening. Maybe that's why Jonah's asleep in the back of the boat. But as they cast lots of the sailors and they realize it's Jonah's fault, they stir him up and in verse 9 they start questioning him. Where are you from? Who's your God? Who are your people? And he says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Which is A plus theology. Jewish students would get good ticks, A plus, good, well done, fantastic. The Hebrew God is not some idol carved out of wood. He is the God who made the stars, who can hurl storms, who controls the seas, who made all people, who is in control of all things, the great God above all. Perfect theology. But at this moment, it's very hollow and hypocritical on Jonah's lips. I mean, does he really believe that? He just spent the whole chapter fleeing on the sea from the God who made the sea. In the midst of a storm where everything is falling apart and God's creatures are clamoring for a way to be saved, he is silent and prayerless in the back. He's running his prayerlessness, his self-deceit, his lack of love for the people around him, all contradict his perfect theology. In fact, the storm is exposing the gap between Jonah's head and his heart, between his head and his heart and his hands. That's what happens in storms. They expose us. They expose the difference between what we think we believe, and what we actually practically believe. Maybe you're finding that at the moment, that you've always called God, the great God of heaven, sovereign over all, but now you're questioning, could God be sovereign in this? Do I trust him? You've always said that he's present and good in the midst of the worst storm, but is he now? You know, you always said that God, Jesus was enough, but he doesn't feel like enough now. One Christian writer I read this week talked about how Christians shouldn't waste this time. Believers shouldn't waste this time as unbelievers shouldn't as well. What what does it mean that God has permitted or will temporarily conditions in which our elite lifestyle of international travel is grounded, our consumption is cut to a minimum, and our days are occupied with basic responsibilities toward our families and immediate communities. Our resources and economic hopes are reduced and we're made more dependent upon one another. What is God stripping back? What is he exposing? What gaps is he opening up between the way we say we worship and the way that we live? Between what we say we believe and what we actually practically believe in life? 
Friend, if that gap is being exposed for you, don't run away from it. It's okay. God is working in the storm for you. He's actually transforming you. Actually, in the storm, do you know what? You actually realize things about God you couldn't without it. The sailors realized what it meant for God to be the God of heaven and earth, of the seas. They have a great fear when they hear Jonah's words. They know that this is real. The storm has proved it. And as we walk through this together, we'll find that God is better than we imagined. We'll find that he's more sovereign than we dared dream. We'll find that his purposes are more perfect. Indeed, as he exposes these gaps, he'll fill them with his glory. Don't run away from it. Don't head for self-deceit as Jonah does. Don't fall asleep while he's trying to awaken you. Let him expose your false worship. Let him lead you to true worship. But you see, the heart of this, the heart of all this, the heart of how in the end you move from false worship to true, the heart and the reason why in the chapter the sailors move and are awakened in the end is not just because of the storm. It's because they receive mercy. It's because they know mercy. Because in the storm, what God desires most, what his heart is, is to show mercy. You see, what happens is uh, the, the sailors ask Jonah again for what to do in the midst of everything that's happening. And they get more desperate, the more hectic the waves get. And, and Jonah's drastic solution is to throw him into the sea, verse 12, and it will become calm. Because it's his fault. It's judgment on his action. It's his consequence. And so if he suffers it, they will be free. The men are very interested in in Jonah and don't want to see him die. And um, they're very scared of the God they've just discovered. And there's this beautiful prayer they pray in verse 14. They cry out to the Lord and say, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. It's a stunning prayer. I love it. It, it. It's full of heartfelt worship that Jonah's empty theology lacks. It's a true knowledge of the God who really does whatever he feels like is the Lord and King of all people. And yet, what are they asking for? They're asking for mercy. Do not hold us accountable. Do not hold this man's blood on our head. Forgive us for what we are about to do. Show mercy to us. They cry out for mercy. And then they pick up Jonah and they throw him in the sea. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm ceases. And it's only after that that they make vows to God, they sacrifice, and it says that they fear him. Verse 16. What happened? They asked for mercy, and God gave it. He saved them from the storm. He saved them from their sin. He forgave them. Because God longs to show mercy in the storm. And actually, through only through an experience of God's mercy, that you will actually be spiritually awakened at all. You see, this is what Jonah doesn't get. 
Jonah's heart is far from God's heart. Far from this God who longs to show mercy to heathen sailors, to violent Ninevans, to religious hypocrites even like Jonah. At the end of the story, God sends a fish in verse 17 and even shows mercy, saves his wayward prophet. God in the midst of the storm, do you know what he longs for most in the midst of corona, in the midst of everything that's happening? What he longs for is to show mercy. It's for you to know mercy. You see, it's to the extent that your heart, in the midst of this storm, cries out and receives afresh mercy that can deliver from death and sin. It's to that extent that you will begin to share it. Because God's heart is that his mercy is known. And the only way we end up sharing mercy is by experiencing it, by knowing it. Because all of us are like Jonah. All of us are far from God's heart. All of us have false worship. All of us don't have hearts that really get God's mercy. And that's why there was a true and a better Jonah. The Lord Jesus. He obediently came down from heaven when his father called on him. And he didn't find himself amongst good, kind sailors, but amongst fiends like me and you, who strung him up on a cross, who willingly chucked him out of the boat into the water. You see, Jonah is the perfect picture of what Jesus does. Jesus is the one who is thrown under the waves that everyone on the boat might be saved. As soon as Jesus goes under the wrath of God on the cross, the storm stills. As soon as he hits the water, the rough storm of God's wrath is stilled forever. And those who cry out receive mercy. You see, friend, in the midst of the storm, what does God will for you? For you to know that mercy. For you to know it so deeply that it propels you outward to share it in your corridor, in your apartment building, in your neighborhood, on your Zoom meeting. Because the world is full of people looking for answers. And the God of the storm is longing to show his mercy, awakening them to true worship in his passionate, personal pursuit of them. Will you join me in praying? that God would use this time to awaken many to his great mercy in Jesus. And that he might use us, as he used Joan in this chapter in the end, however reluctant he was, however false he was, he used him, and he can use us. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.